the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend producing, Dave King engineering, Pedro Bartez producing and engineering in Seattle. Glad to have you with us. So looking forward to sharing a conversation with uh, Dr. Robert Jeffress. He's the pastor of a 15,000-member church, and his latest book, you know, about number 30, is The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. The book is published by Baker Books. It's a must-read. He'll be joining us later this hour. Again, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Well, today is October 31st. Much of the culture will be focused on candy and things that go bump in the night. But Protestants, they have something far more significant to celebrate on the 31st of October. It's Reformation Day, which commemorates what was perhaps the greatest move of God's spirit since the days of the apostles. But what's the significance of Reformation Day and how should we consider the events it commemorates? Well, at the time, few would have suspected that the sound of a hammer striking the castle door in Wittenberg, Germany, would soon be heard around the world and lead ultimately to the greatest transformation of Western society since the apostles first preached the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Martin Luther's nailing of his 95 theses to the uh, do- church door on October 31st, 1517, provoked a debate that culminated finally in what we now call the Protestant Reformation. An heir of Bishop Augustine of Hippo, Martin Luther is one of the most significant figures God raised up since that time. The law student turned Augustinian monk became the center of a great controversy after his theses were uh, copied and distributed throughout Europe. Initially protesting the Pope's attempt to sell salvation, his study of scripture soon led him to oppose the Church of Rome on issues including the primacy of the Bible over the church tradition and the means by which we are found righteous in the sight of God. Well, this last issue is probably Luther's most significant contribution to Christian theology. Though preached clearly in the New Testament and found in the writings of many of the church fathers, the medieval bishops and priests had largely forgotten the truth that our own good works can by no means merit God's favor. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and good works result from our faith. They are not added to it as the grounds for our right standing in the Lord's eyes. You can read that in Ephesians the second chapter, verses 8 through 10. Justification, God's declaration that we are not guilty, forgiven of sin and righteous in his sight, comes because through our faith alone in the Father, uh, imputes or reckons to us, to our account, the perfect righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians five twenty one. Well, Martin Luther, certainly far from a perfect man, his rediscovery of this truth led to a whole host of other church and societal reforms, and much of what we take for granted in the West would have likely been impossible had he never graced the scene. Now, certainly God would have raised someone else up, but Martin Luther 
He did what he was called to do. His translation of the Bible into German put the word of God in the hands of the people. And today, scripture is available in the vernacular language of many countries, enabling lay people to study it with profit. He reformed the Latin mass by putting the liturgy in the common tongue so that non-scholars could hear and understand the preached word of God and worship the Lord with clarity. Luther lifted the unbiblical ban on marriage for the clergy and, by his own teaching and example, radically transformed the institution itself. He recaptured the biblical view of the priesthood of all believers, showing all people that their work had purpose and dignity because in it they can serve their creator. Well, today, Luther's legacy lives on in the creeds and confessions of Protestant bodies worldwide. And as we consider his importance this Reformation Day, let's equip, equip ourselves rather to be knowledgeable proclaimers and defenders of the biblical truth. May we be eager to preach the gospel of God to the world and thereby spark a new reformation of church and culture. That said, happy Reformation Day. There are no candy, no costumes, but it's a big deal. Well, a forthcoming report from the International Christian Concern, or ICC, a nonprofit, highlights the 10 worst countries for Christian persecution, as well as specific entities and individuals that are driving this persecution. The report, titled Persecutors of the Year, will be released tomorrow on the 1st of November, uh, but there have been some advanced copies of the report available. The countries that are identified as the worst for Christian persecution are Nigeria, North Korea, India, Iran, China, Pakistan, Eritrea, Algeria, Indonesia, and Azerbaijan. Now, new to the list this year is Eritrea, a northeast African country, and Azerbaijan. Well, Christian persecution is a hidden, mostly hidden subject. ICC's president, Jeff King, says in a phone interview, the ICC is based in Washington, D.C. People know it exists, but it's so complicated, he said, referring to persecution. The report is the culmination of a massive effort Effort each year to fully research the size and scope of persecution in each country. Uh, countries in which persecution is led or promoted by state actors rather than cultural biases, as well as countries with incidents of violence toward Christians, are given more attention. We look at the intensity, the scale of the attacks, Mr. King says, how many and um, are there state actors involved? One of the main goals of the report every year is to spread awareness that Christian persecution is actually happening. Now, those of us who read the scriptures know that's not a surprise. Jesus said, in this world, you will know tribulation, but fear not because I have overcome the world. Being a Christian is extremely dangerous in some countries, as he said it would be. The issue is underreported in the news media, King believes, which he said leads to a lack of awareness by faith leaders of what is happening as well. The average Christian tends to know that much about persecution, or really not to know much, unless they're motivated, unless they want to go out and find it. Well, I had the opportunity several years ago on several occasions to travel with the Bible League to those countries where Christian persecution is quite um, uh, well known. I've been to China and Vietnam at the time when um, faith outside of the state sponsorship was not permitted. I've met with the underground church. I've spoken with persecuted tr- Christians from a variety of countries. And my awareness, my concern for them was uh, sparked and 
brought to life uh, from those encounters. And I would encourage any believer who wants to learn more, there are a number of resources that will bring you up to date and to familiarize you with the persecuted church abroad. Again, returning to Mr. King, he says, we want to produce a resource for the press and for Capitol Hill so that they can get on top of this subject at a certain level very quickly and then can dig from there. So that's really our motivation. The Nigerian government, he says, is not doing enough to protect Christian citizens, and he hopes that the report will serve to better inform members of Congress about what is actually happening overseas. A recent example of the indifference of the Nigerian government toward the Christian community happened in early September. Yeah, just a month ago. On the evening of September 7th, a Catholic seminarian was burned alive during a kidnapping attempt. The attack, which happened in Kaduna State, located in northwest Nigeria, involved Islamic extremists setting the building of a Catholic parish on fire. The seminarian at the parish perished in the blaze. While the authorities were alerted the attack um, to the attack in advance, they didn't arrive until after the damage was already done. Just one Example. In any event, that report will be released to the public tomorrow. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on this Reformation Day. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Looking forward to a conversation with Dr. Robert Jeffress. He'll be my guest later this hour, The Ten, his latest book, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. That's coming up in the final segment of this hour, and we'll straddle into the next, so hope you can uh, stick around for that. Well, American troops operating in the Middle East have been faced with an uptick in attacks in recent weeks, a trend that could continue as the U.S. supports Israel's war effort against Hamas. U.S. forces conducted airstrikes on facilities in eastern Syria last week in response to continued attacks on U.S. troops. The strikes come as Pentagon officials have warned of the possible fallout of of Israeli war with Hamas leading to to increase dangers for U.S. forces, with one senior defense official telling reporters that they see a prospect for much more significant escalation against U.S. forces and personnel in the near term. And let's be clear about it, he went on to say, the road leads back to Iran. Well, the warning came as Israel began its second phase, which saw a number of troops enter Gaza in response to the Hamas terror attacks. Robert Greenway, the director of the Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation, says that a good chunk of those were toward Al-Aqsa or Al-Assad Air Base in Iraq, our largest in the um, area and the critical part of our operations, referring to the U.S. base uh, that has seen the um, strikes from outside. The Pentagon's acknowledgement of the issue has taken a sudden turn over the last few weeks, according to the Military.com report. Earlier this month, the report notes Pentagon top spokesperson Brigadier General Pat Ryder said that he was uh, not uh, tracking any specific information regarding the specific targeting of American citizens or U.S. military forces or their families. But last week, Ryder told reporters during a Pentagon press briefing that there have been a growing number of attacks and that by virtue of the fact that they're supported by Iran, we will ultimately hold Iran responsible. Now, what that actually means remains to be seen. Well, Republican strategist Matt Keelan and Democratic strategist Kevin Walling Discuss the 2024 hopeful speaking at the Republican Jewish Summit and whether Representative Dean Phillips has a chance against President Biden. And it was a report published by Lawrence Richards. Well, the cases in Colorado and Minnesota are seeking to disqualify former President Donald Trump from winning the White House again. 
The hearing could break new ground in constitutional law and could easily end up before the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, attorneys started their arguments on Monday, claiming that Trump's alleged role in the riot at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, violated the Constitution's insurrection clause and thus prevents him from being able to seek office. The hearing in Colorado State Court on Monday marked the first of two lawsuits against the former president, as the Minnesota Supreme Court will hear oral arguments in a similar case on Thursday. Attorney Eric Olson argued that Trump's violent rhetoric before the and on January 6th encouraged the crowds of his supporters and others to storm the Capitol where they came within 40 feet of then-Vice President Mike Pence. He said uh, Trump summoned and organized the mob. Uh, We were here because Trump claims after all that that he has the right to be president again. But our Constitution, the shared character of our nation, says he cannot do so. That's a quote Um, from whom it's not altogether clear. Well, Trump's legal team and presidential campaign have pushed back on the validity of the lawsuit, saying it's just another attempt by Democrats to derail his presidential bid as he leads all Republicans in the presidential primary. Well, the case is hinged on a Civil War era provision, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, that prohibits those who swore an oath to uphold the Constitution and then engaged in insurrection against it from holding higher office. The case will pivot on whether the January 6th attack Uh, met the meaning of insurrection in the 14th Amendment and whether Trump's actions meet the definition of engaging. Also, and perhaps most importantly, whether the rarely used provision was ever meant to apply to the presidency. Ultimately, either the Colorado or Minnesota case could land the U.S. uh, in the U.S. Supreme Court, which has never ruled on the provision in question. We will follow the story as it develops in the days ahead. Well, the United States uh, deployed 900 additional troops to the Middle East, according to the New York Post. An Iran-backed terrorist group launched another attack on U.S. forces stationed there on Thursday, continuing a recent spate of rockets and drone attacks on American troops since the uh, conflict broke on the 7th. The uh, Pentagon spokesperson, Air Force General Patrick Ryder, said... The Thursday attack, which he describes as unsuccessful, occurred at the Erbil Air Base. The spokesperson said that there were no significant injuries or damage sustained, but that additional troops, uh, U.S. troops already in Iraq and Syria, roughly 2,500 and 900 respectively, and Navy assets that were announced to be heading to the region would be added. Israel carried out the largest raid in Gaza since October 7th. The Wall Street Journal reports that the Israeli military carried out what appears to be its biggest incursion into the Strip since the Hamas attack on Israel uh, earlier this month. Officials said Israel's incursion into Gaza was an effort to prepare the ground for an eventual invasion of the enclave. The IDF eliminated the Hamas leader who was instrumental in planning the October 7th attack. The Israel Defense Forces and Shin Bet, Israel's security agency, successfully killed the deputy head of Hamas's intelligence disposition, who, along with Hamas leader Yahani Sinwar, had planned the October 7th attack on Israel and IDF said on Thursday night, mission accomplished. Using combat aircraft with precise intelligence from the IDF and Shin Bet, uh, they eliminated the deputy head of Hamas intelligence step, uh, disposition, Shadi Barad. The IDF said in a statement he had held several roles within Hamas military intelligence and was uh, responsible for the organization's information security. Additionally, he was in charge of intelligence ties for the organization. Well, leaders of various terrorist groups met in Lebanon 
Leaders of the terrorist groups Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, all groups funded by Iran, the world's largest state sponsor of terrorism, met on Wednesday in Lebanon, where Hezbollah is located. The leader, Saeed Hassan Nasrallah, uh, met with Hamas Deputy Chief um, al-Aruri and Palestinian Islamic Jihad head, a portrait of Iran's original supreme leader, Ayatollah Khomeini, and another portrait of Iran's current supreme leader, um, another Ali Khomeini, were on the wall behind them. The Times of Israel reports that their goal, according to the statement that was carried on, a Hezbollah-run and Lebanese state media, was to achieve a real victory for the resistance in Gaza and Palestine and halt Israel's treacherous and brutal aggression against our oppressed and steadfast people in Gaza and the West Bank, end quote. Well, pro-Hamas protesters banged on the door while Jewish students held uh, held up in the university library. The Jewish students huddled in the locked library of a New York City college Wednesday night while protesters banged on the doors yelling free Palestine and globalize the intifada from New York to Gaza while trying to break in. According to eyewitness Jake Novak, former media director of the Israeli consulate in New York, the protesters who had been gathered outside the Cooper Union Library learned the Jewish students were in the library and frightened and brought the rally indoors. Uh, later that evening, campus security had led the students out of the library through tunnels. After the fact, he and the New York City Councilwoman, um, Ina Vernikov, shared more information that they had gleaned through speaking with those locked inside. The campus rally was part of a national walkout day uh, for Palestinian activists, for which faculty members canceled class, encouraged students to participate, and in some instances offered uh, extra credit for those students who did. No regard for the uh, Jewish students who were being threatened. House Speaker Mike Johnson is amping up investigations against the president, insisting the ongoing probes into the corrupt family are not winding down. During an interview with Fox News Digital, Johnson said that Biden had lied to the American people more than once, including his involvement with his son Hunter Biden's shady overseas business dealings. The newly elected speaker is confident the evidence Republicans have uncovered are impeccable, impeachable um, offenses. Uh, saying, I believe the documents are proving all that. The bank records don't lie. Biden's bank statements cannot account for paying for a Delaware home with $2.75 million in cash on a loan to his brother, James Biden, for $200,000. And it goes on from there. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Once again, we'll have a conversation with uh, Dr. Robert Jeffress coming up later this hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next segment, a conversation with uh, Pastor Dr. Robert Jeffress. His latest book, The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World That Has Lost Its Way. Hope you can stick around for that. Well, U.S. fighter jets um, launched airstrikes early Friday on two locations in eastern Syria linked to Iran's Revolutionary Guard, escalating matters and raising questions about what the future might hold for the U.S. military and its safety. And Hamas leader Issa Mil Haniya, or something very like that, says Palestinian civilians need to die for the revolution. This is why they're not allowing them to escape. Well, Hamas leader 
uh, by the name I mispronounced, call the Palestinian civilians to die in Israel's strike against Hamas terrorists inside Gaza. The remarks come as Hamas commits war crimes by using civilians as human shields and lies about events that have unfolded during the three-week war, including the claims that Israel bombed a hospital, the Middle East um, uh, Media Research Institute, or Memory, captured remarks uh, from the leader made during an address on Thursday in which he falsely claimed Israel was committing a new holocaust against the Palestinians inside Gaza. Well, the embassy of Israel to the USA says in his own words, the Hamas leader um, from the comfort of his home in Gutter said, we need the blood of women and children and the elderly of Gaza so as to awaken our revolutionary spirit, end quote. Listen to this vile terrorist uh, sacrifice his own people while living in the lap of luxury. The the, uh, embassy of Israel to the USA responded. Well, more than 10 million people have been reportedly uh, reported illegally entering the United States since the president took office in January of 21. Uh, the uh, largest number of Americans, uh, rather in American history, the influx of uh, immigrants total more than the individual populations of 41 of 50 states. The number of people illegally entering the country surged after the president and the Department of Homeland Security secretary halted many pre-existing border security policies, advanced sweeping parole and other policies to release the greatest numbers of foreign nationals into the country, encouraged people from all over the world to use a phone app to enter the U.S., and facilitated U.S. entry application processes in foreign countries, among others. Official U.S. Customs and Border Protection data include 3,201,144 apprehensions in fiscal year 2023, uh, just uh, above 2022. In the, na- in the nine months, uh, Biden was in office in fiscal year 2020. Well, for President Trump, um, is enjoying his best poll numbers uh, ever and some of Biden's worst ever. There's nothing like a string of indictments and gag orders to boost one's presidential prospects, although there are other issues at stake. A recent Harvard-Caps-Harris poll of 2,116 registered voters, a relatively small number, showed Donald Trump getting 39 percent support. Joe Biden, 33 percent, and independent candidate Robert F. Kennedy, 19 percent. Well, this reminds us of a three-way race in 1992, a race that included independent businessman Ross Perot, also pulling 19 percent of the vote and bleeding support away from incumbent president Republican George H.W. Bush, which vaulted Democrat Bill Clinton into the White House with just 43 percent of the vote. Elsewhere, in an even more significant morning consult poll in an election deciding swing state of Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, Trump leads Biden 47 percent to 43 percent. Pollster and former Trump campaign manager Kellyanne Conway called these numbers the best of Trump's political career, even more ominously for the Uh, 80-year-old incumbent respondents said the economy was their most important issue and they disapproved of Biden's handling of it by a whopping 65 percent to 14 percent. Finally, a new Gallup poll showed Biden's um, numbers equally questionable. Well, Israel has a, uh, well, I won't even go into that. A far-left group being funded by liberal billionaire George Soros is uh, targeting Kentucky Attorney General and gubernatorial candidate Daniel Cameron, a black Republican, some believe that to be an oxymoron with an ad disparaging him as an Uncle Tom. 
because he's black and he's a Republican. Well, Black Voters Matter Action Pack, which FEC filings show received millions from Soros Super PAC, has been running a radio ad on a local R&B station based in Jeffersontown, Kentucky, describing Cameron as Uncle Daniel Cameron and accusing him of betraying his race by declaring all skin folk aren't kinfolk. Uh, what's up, Kentucky? It's election time and all skin folk ain't kin folk. Over the past few years, we've taken to the streets to demand racial justice, to demand health care and the right to make decisions about our body. And now Uncle Daniel Cameron is threatening to take us backwards. The same man who refused to seek justice for Bianca Taylor now wants to run for our whole state. The ad says we can't let that happen. We won't let that happen on November 7th. Vote Andy Bashir for governor. It adds declaring support for incumbent Democrat Governor Andy Bashir, who is white. Well, Cameron hit back at the group and accused Democrats, along with other left wing organizations, of using racist attacks solely because he doesn't support their policies. It's not at all uncommon if you happen to be conservative while black. He also called for Bashir, the opponent, the incumbent governor, to condemn the ad. I never faced racism or discrimination while growing up or working in Kentucky until I decided to stand up for uh, the, uh, up to the national Democrat establishment. I don't support their policies, so the left attacks me for my skin color. These racist attacks have been appear- happening for years, and the media has either um, enabled or ignored them, he added, referencing a cartoon published in a liberal paper earlier this year characterizing him in a racist manner. But it's perfectly acceptable. They're liberal. He's conservative. When asked about Cameron's call to condemn the ad, Brashear, the incumbent governor and his uh, opponent, his political opponent, referred to Fox News Digital uh, to what he told the Lexington Herald leader on Sunday, that the ad came from an African-American-led PAC, so we'll let them comment for themselves. A very weak response indeed. Well, in a bit of lighter news, McDonald's revealed in an earnings call Monday that its rebranded crispy chicken sandwich, which are now known as the McCrispy, has grown to become the $1 billion global brand. The development comes as McDonald's uh, says its consolidated revenues increased by 14% and comparable sales in the U.S. rose 8.1% over the third quarter of this year. Our McCrispy Chicken Sandwich continues to be an important driver of chicken share growth, having first launched in markets like Canada and Germany and now a billion-dollar brand, the McDonald's financial chief says. They describe its McCrispy Sandwich as a southern-style fried chicken sandwich that's crispy, Juicy and tender to perfection. It's topped with crinkle-cut pickles and served on a toasted buttery potato Sorry, roll. The McDonald's crispy chicken sandwich quickly became a fan favorite when it uh, first hit the U.S. back in 21. And now this beloved sandwich is joining some of the most iconic menu items. McNuggets. I like mine with sweet and sour sauce. McMuffin sandwiches, I like mine with sausage, and the McFlurry desserts with a fresh new name, McCrispy. The company said earlier this year in announcing the rebrand, earning your Mick is a true McDonald's badge of honor. What do you say we go after the show and get something to eat? Boy, that sounds good. Oh, but I digress. 
Harvard um, President Claudine Gay on Friday announced the creation of an advisory council to combat anti-Semitism on campus after weeks of intense criticism over the university's response to the Israeli-Hamas war that broke out on the 7th. Gay delivered uh, remarks at the Harvard Hillal Shabbat dinner, saying that uh, we are witnessing a return to anti-Semitism that is not acceptable on campus. It's a surge in the uh, in the community, she said. Uh, Jewish students feeling increasingly uneasy or even threatened. As president, I am committed to tackling these pernicious uh, shows of hatred uh, with the urgency it demands, Gay said in her remarks. Anti-Semitism has a very long and shameful history at Harvard. For years, this university has done too little to comfort It's continuing uh, presence no longer, Gay said, that a group of advisors, including faculty, staff, alumni and religious leaders from the Jewish community will begin the vital work of eradicating anti-Semitism from our community. We will take her at her word and follow very closely what actually happens. Up next, Robert Jeffress. Dr. Jeffress is the author of The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, my next guest, and I have to tell you, I'm absolutely thrilled that he would take the time to join us. Dr. Robert Jeffress has written a new book, his latest, The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. Well, the renowned pastor and author, he shows us how God's blessings come from living out his most fundamental instructions. Now, I know what you might be thinking. The Ten Commandments, is that relevant to Christians today? Well, he says that far from what most people think, the Ten Commandments weren't given to restrict our freedom, but to enhance our happiness. They invite us into the blessing of a loving relationship toward God and the resulting spillover into our relationships with others. Well, Dr. Jeffress is a senior pastor of the 15,000 member First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, and is a Fox News contributor. His daily radio program, Pathway to Victory, is heard on more than a thousand stations nationwide, and his weekly television program is seen on 195 countries around the world. It's a wonder he has a moment to join us here today. He's appeared on many media outlets, Fox and Friends, Hannity, Good Morning America, and many others. He's the author of nearly 30 books, including the book we'll be talking about today. So, Dr. Jeffress, I am so grateful that you're with us today. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. We've been doing this for a number of years, Georgine. (laughs) We have, and I'm glad to continue. Well, the book is titled The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. Now, I think for many believers, Um, The Ten Commandments seem almost irrelevant. There are elements of it that we resonate with, but we imagine we're under grace. We're not under the law. Therefore, these commandments, while they're good, they don't necessarily apply to us. First of all, do people know what's in the Ten Commandments anymore? And do they apply to followers of Jesus? No, I read a poll that said that only 60% of Christians uh, can name five of the commandments. I mean, it's just amazing how ignorant even God's own people are of the commandments. And Georgine, if there's one truth I want people to understand about this book, the 10 is the 10 commandments were not given for God's benefit. He doesn't get anything out of them. He gave it to us for our benefit. These rules, these guardrails, if you will, for living, uh, were not meant to repress us or oppress us, but to bless us. And it really is God's prescription for how to have the joyful life. 
we were intended to have. You make the point that our lack of application of the Ten Commandments is responsible for the deterioration of our nation, our churches, our homes, and our personal lives. What you're suggesting, and what I think the, the Scriptures teach, is that these are essential to us. Why are these commandments, these words, if you will, so uh, important to the lives of uh, those to whom it was originally given and to those of us who are today followers of Jesus? You know, I, I think the subtitle of the book explains it all, how to live and love in a world that's lost its way. I don't care what your political or spiritual affiliation is. I think everybody agrees that we're living in a world that's lost its way. And I think back to 1863, when our country was being torn apart by a civil war, Abraham Lincoln issued his first proclamation calling for prayer and repentance. And in that proclamation, Lincoln said, what is it that is tearing our nation apart? And then he answered his own question. He said, we have forgotten God. Mm -hmm. And Georgine, I think that diagnosis is as accurate today as it was back in 1863. We think we know a better way to live than God does. And the result is always chaos, confusion, and disappointment. And so I think these are the words of our creator, again, who gave us these rules for our blessing. You know, I tell the story in the book. Uh, when my girls were little, we went to uh, Colorado Springs and drove up Pikes Peak Mountain. And my oldest daughter was five at the time. And when she got out of the car, she started running toward the edge of the mountain. There was no guardrail. And instinctively, I yelled, stop. Now, why did I tell her to stop? Was I trying to deprive her of some wonderful experience? Of course not. I was trying to keep her from going off the cliff and killing herself. And in the same way, God gives us some commands. Some of them are negative, but they're for our benefit. No lying, no stealing, no adultery, no coveting. He gave that to enhance our life, not to restrict us in any way. Importantly, in the introduction to the the book, you uh, call our attention to the historical setting of the Ten Commandments. God had just um, freed his people from 400 years of slavery, the exodus out of Egypt. And it's in that context that God miraculously delivers his people from slavery, rescues them from the pursuing Egyptian army, and delivers to them these words that are those guardrails as you've described them. Help us to understand the context in which these uh, commandments, as we refer to them, were given to his people and their purpose at that time. Well, you pointed out something very relevant to today. This was 3,500 years ago. The children of Israel left Egypt and were headed to the promised land to form their new nation. Now, as we know, at the beginning of their journey out of Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai and Moses received the commandments. They broke them. They spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering around. And so Moses had to give them to them again in the book of Deuteronomy, which means second law. But the point I would make today is, Georgine, that was 3,500 years ago that the Israelites were getting ready to enter into the promised land. Contrary to what you hear from the left today, Israel is not just 75 years old. It's thousands of years of age, and they possess this land. They are not occupiers. This is land that was going to belong to them. And God said, as you start this new nation, here are the rules that you're to govern yourselves by that will cut through the chaos and confusion of the world. 
And for the Israelites, as you point out, this blessing meant a homeland marked by peace, justice, and morality. This was to bring blessing. This wasn't to restrict their freedom, but this was necessary in order for them to live and flourish in the way that God intended. You know, you said something earlier that I want to go back to. You said a lot of Christians uh, don't really know these commandments or care that much about them because they're part of the Old Testament. And we think uh, the Old Testament's irrelevant. It's important Hmm. to note that when God gave his law, the law consisted of three parts. There was a civil law that governed how the nation would run itself. That's true. That doesn't apply to us because we're not a theocracy. There was a ceremonial law that included sacrifices and rituals that the people would go through to atone for sins. Those are no longer relevant because Jesus Christ is our full and complete sacrifice. But the third part of the law was the moral law, and that part transcends the Testaments. It's the Ten Commandments. And it's interesting that Jesus repeated each of those Ten Commandments as part of his teaching with the exception of one command. And the command he didn't repeat and reinstate was remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. In fact, Jesus broke the Sabbath for a reason, to show us that the day of worship would no longer be Saturday, it would be Sunday to commemorate his resurrection. But even then, the principle still remains of the Sabbath. There's one day a week you need to focus completely on refreshing yourself spiritually, emotionally, and physically, and that's to be the Sabbath. Well, generally, as you've just described, Christians aren't obliged to obey the Old Testament law in the two areas that you you outlined. But in the same way that the Ten Commandments were designed to provide a, a means of flourishing for the nation of Israel or the, the nation that was going to become a nation, uh, it's designed to do the same for us. Absolutely. And, you know, for example, one of the commandments, honor your father and mother, And then it's the only commandment with a promise that your days may be long on the earth. Now, God wasn't promising that you're going to be promised longevity of life if you obey your parents. He was talking to the nation that it may go well with you as a nation. It is from our parents that we learn the basic truth that all societies need to learn, and that is obedience to authority. And where is it that children learn to obey authority? It starts in the home by obeying their parents. If they don't learn how to obey their parents, they'll have trouble obeying their teachers. They'll have trouble obeying uh, law enforcement officers and the government. And so this is a command that still has relevance for us today. Uh, Children certainly are to obey their parents unless they're asked to do something illegal or immoral. But then young adults can still not obey their parents necessarily, but listen to the counsel of their parents. But one way we honor our parents is even after they're dead, by the way we speak about them, by the things we choose to remember about them. We all have imperfect parents. We're imperfect parents, but we can honor our parents by what we say about them even after they're in heaven. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Robert Jeffress, his latest book, The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. And that certainly is the world we find ourselves in today. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we're continuing a conversation with Dr. Robert Jeffress. He's the author of nearly 30 books. We're talking about his latest, The Ten. Yeah, That Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. The book is published by Baker Books. We'll make sure that you can find out where to buy a copy and to connect with uh, uh, Pastor Jeffress online before our conversation ends as well. Well, what are some of the common misconceptions about the Ten Commandments? And let me just offer one, and that is that it's restricting, that if we, uh, this is designed to prevent us from enjoying life, that it's designed to prevent us from pursuing things that, uh, that might interest us. What, what was the original intent? It was not to restrict us, it's to what? To bless us, uh, not to oppress us, but to bless us. These were given for our benefit. It's the way to have the kind of life God wants us to experience. I mean, for example, I mean, the commandment, uh, you shall not commit adultery. In Hebrew, it literally says no adultery. Now, Georgine, most people think about God as some cosmic killjoy who's trying to rob us of any happiness Mm -hmm. in life by putting all these restrictions around us. But think about it. God is the one who designed the whole idea of sex. He's the one who gave us bodies to enjoy a sexual relationship. But he says, now here is how sex operates the best, between a man and a woman in the security of a marriage relationship. God gave that so that we could enjoy the gift he gave us not to try to repress us from enjoying uh, uh, that kind of activity. And so, again, people need to rethink their thoughts about God in many ways. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And we have a God who is not trying to keep good things from us. That's what Satan tempted Eve with in the garden. The reason God doesn't want you to eat from this tree is because he doesn't want you to be like him. He's paranoid. He's trying to rob you of something wonderful. And of course, the opposite is true. Mm. So it's a form of arrogance when we disregard or disobey the Ten Commandments, imagining that we know better than God or misunderstanding uh, his intent in guiding us in the way that he designed us to function the best. That's exactly right. And he knows, for example, material possessions. He says, don't steal. He knows that the way we uh, enhance our self-esteem and feel feel fulfillment in life and satisfaction is by acquiring property, by earning it, not by taking it from others. At the root of every commandment is God's love and his desire for us to live the best life possible. In the book that we're talking about today, The Ten, uh, you share some ways that we break the Ten Commandments without even realizing. What is What are some of the ways that we do that? Well, let's take the command, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, we usually think that's referring to cursing. You know, you never should say the GD phrase, which is true. You shouldn't do it, but not for the reason people think. Uh, One of the Old Testament scholars who's a member of our church translates that verse, do not use the name of God needlessly. You know, God's name was so sacred, the Hebrews didn't even pronounce Mm -hmm. the name Yahweh. It was such a reverent name. And it doesn't have to be just through a curse that we take God's name in vain. When we try to manipulate other people to do something we want them to do by saying, now God told me, 
uh, congregation that we're to build this building. Well, I better not say that unless God really told me that. Or God told me I'm supposed to marry this person or that person. Uh, That's taking God's name in vain. Something I did and really didn't think about it until I studied it more is uh, telling jokes that have God as a part of the joke. You know, we've all, many of us have done that before. Uh, Two guys died and went to heaven and God said to them, blah, 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 blah. That's taking God's name in Mm. vain. We're not to take God's name and use it needlessly. So we are to reverence him in however we make reference to him. And I think sometimes we're so casual, we imagine that Jesus is just our best friend and we can pal around without really (laughs) considering the holiness of God, the the complete otherness of God, and how um, the righteousness we uh, experience is the righteousness that we have inherited rather than um, that we've generated on our own. It's a very sobering thought. That's right. And you know, another example of ways we violate the commands without thinking about it, thou shalt not steal. Now, he's not just talking about don't get involved in those smash and grab crimes that we've been watching department stores being looted. No, there are a number of ways you can take something that doesn't belong to you by not working, you know, a full eight hours a day, giving you your employer what they're paying you for. Employers can rob their employees by not paying them a fair wage for what they do. Uh, There are a lot of ways we can steal without even knowing it. Same thing with murder. You know, we think as long as we don't shoot somebody in the head, we're uh, free of violating that command. But Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. I say anyone who hates his brother has committed murder in his heart. Uh, God not only condemns the act of murder, he condemns the attitudes that lead to murder. So, um, you know, a lot of people will check off these commands and say, well, I haven't done the overt behavior, but God is just as concerned about the hard attitude that leads to those acts of disobedience. It seems to me that when we understand the full breadth of these commandments, we not only learn something about ourselves and our inability to keep those commandments apart from the um, inner work of the Holy Spirit, but it also reminds us of the holiness of God that we so often forget. He's he's serious about these matters, and his standard is is far higher than ours uh, ever will be. It is, and you know, James uses the example, the analogy. He says, the word of God, the commands of God are like a mirror Mm. that show us how dirty our faces are, how much we need to be cleaned. Uh, You look into a mirror in the morning, the mirror can reveal the dirt on your face, but it can't cleanse you of that dirt. And it's the same way with the law. The law uh, can't be obeyed perfectly. And that's why Jesus Christ came to pay for our sins, uh, to take the punishment we deserve for our sins. What the law does is it reminds us of how dirty spiritually we all are and how much we need Christ's forgiveness. Mm. We're talking with uh, Dr. Robert Jeffress, his latest book, The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way. The book is published by Baker. Now, Dr. Jeffress, can you stay with us for one more segment? Sure. I don't want to presume upon your time, but we'd sure appreciate it. We'll take a quick break. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. 
is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we are delighted to continue our conversation with uh, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Uh, his latest book, The Ten, an excellent review of what God said to us through the Ten Commandments, how to live and love in a world that has lost its way, and that certainly describes the world that we are in. He is the uh, author of nearly 30 books. We're talking about his latest. He is a pastor of a 15,000-member First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, He's a Fox News contributor. His daily radio program, Pathways to Victory, is heard on more than a thousand stations nationwide, and his weekly television program, seen on 100, seen rather in 195 countries around the world. And yet, he has humbled himself to spend a few minutes with us here today. <laughs> I want to ask you about the fourth commandment that has to do with the Sabbath. What does observing the Sabbath look like in the 21st century in the chaotic world that we live in today? And how strictly are we? to follow it when we consider how the, uh, the Jewish community acknowledges and observes the Sabbath, how are we to, if in fact we are, to observe that Sabbath rest in the fourth commandment? Well, even though the day is changed for the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday, the principle is still the same. We need 24 hours a week in which we don't work or even think about working, that we renew ourselves spiritually and emotionally and physically, and that is by taking a Sabbath day. And I think, Georgine, the biggest uh, misconception people have about the Sabbath is it's a list of what you can't do on Sundays. And uh, Jesus denied that idea of the Sabbath. He said the Sabbath, uh, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. God gave it not for his benefit, but for us. And so, you know, what I remember when I was growing up, I grew up as a Southern Baptist, and the most debauched thing anybody could do on a Sunday was go to a movie on Sunday afternoon. I mean, you could watch things on TV. That was okay. But going to a movie, there was just something extra sinful about that. My grandparents used to come and visit us on Sunday afternoons. They were Methodist, and my grandmother would go to the movie every Sunday afternoon I have never wanted to be a Methodist so badly as when they came to visit and ended up going to the movies. But uh, I never converted. <laughs> so, But, you know, I mean, that's silly when you think about it. The bigger principle is we need a day for worship. We need a day for rest. And that's why God said, work six days a week, just like I did in creating the world, but take a day off. And, um, you know, William Wilberforce um said that uh, Sabbaths are the days when earthly ambitions regain their true size. I mean, we've got our earthly responsibilities up in front of us six days a week, and God is somewhere in the distant. The Sabbath is the time to change focus and make God who he really is. And it's a way of diminishing the problems we face six days a week. I also wanted to focus for a few moments on the sixth commandment. Uh, we know it primarily as thou shalt not kill, but you suggest there's much more going on uh, in that commandment than uh, a brief and quick read might suggest. Can you broaden our understanding of what that means in terms of preserving life, particularly in an age that we live in, in which um, the taking of life is celebrated? Well, exactly. And, uh, First of all, the principle is that God is the one, the only one who can create life, and he's the only one who has the right to extinguish a life. And, uh, 
Now, the command is translated, thou shalt not murder, ratsa, murder. It doesn't say thou shalt not kill. There are some times that God delegates us with the authority to kill somebody. That surprises people, but it's true. For example, uh, capital punishment. God gives government the right to take a life. In Genesis 9-6, God said to Noah, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. Human life is so sacred that anyone who takes it uh, ought to have their life taken. Romans 13 talks about capital punishment. Uh, second allowance is war. There is such a thing as justified war. And uh, in the days in which we're living, we're seeing the Middle East conflict right now. Israel has not only the right, but the responsibility to defend herself, even if that involves the taking of other life. Um, we have in the Old Testament, God gave us the right to protect our homes from invaders. And that means if that involves taking a life, so be it. So not all killing is prohibited by God, but murder is, which is taken presumptuously out of anger, the life of another person. And by the way, as I said in one of the earlier segments, it's not just the overt act of murder, it's the attitudes that lead to murder, such as hatred. What are some of the ways um, we as a nation have walked away from the guidelines that God clearly set before us? The Ten Commandments used to be posted in a classroom. They were referenced. Now they are rejected and, um, you know, focusing away from them is celebrated. What does it cost us and what do we need to do to turn things around? Well, you know, for the first 150 years of our country's history, the Ten Commandments were not only allowed to be displayed, they were taught and memorized by students. I mean, it was not even questioned. But about 60 years ago, uh, secularists started saying, well, we can be good without God. And so there was a rampant move to try to remove God from the public square, outlawing prayer in 1962, Bible reading in 1963. But the culminating case, Supreme Court case, was 1980, Stone versus Graham, which the Supreme Court said, not only can you not teach the Ten Commandments in a Kentucky school, you can't even post the commandments because if school children read them, this is what the Supreme Court said. If school children read them, they might revere the commandments and obey the commandments. And this is not a permissible objective under the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. I mean, it's just well, ludicrous. <laughs> How's that, that working out? <laughs> yeah. Well, 17 years after that, 1987, in 1997 at Heath High School in Paducah, Kentucky, a 14-year-old who had obtained a gun approached a group of students praying before school, opened fire, killing two, seriously wounding three students, all in a school where 17 years earlier, hmm. the Supreme Court said, you cannot post the words, thou shalt not kill. Now, Georgine, that's insanity, absolute insanity. I think we as Christian and Christian voters need to vote for people who believe that God's law is the best way to live and that we ought to teach our children God's word. You know, there's a chilling verse in Hosea 4, verse 6. God said, because you have forgotten me and my law, I will forget mm. your children. And I think we're witnessing that today. Mm, God help us. Well, Pastor, I want to make sure our listeners know where they can buy a copy of the 10 and connect with you online. 
Well, the best place to get the 10 the easiest is Amazon.com. And Georgine, I might mention, there's also a separate study guide that goes along with the book. It's great for a small group Bible study or Sunday school class, as well as individual study. So Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Well, uh, uh, Pastor Jeffress, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. I want you to know that I respect you. I pray for you from time to time. I know you are in a position of leadership and national attention is focused on you. That comes with a great cost. And I am grateful for your willingness to pay that cost for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the body of the Christ. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're a great friend. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Again, uh, Pastor Robert Jeffress, a Ph.D., author of The Ten, How to Live and Love in a World that Has Lost Its Way, the book published by Baker Books. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. The Portland Edition. Well, the University of California, Davis, still hasn't completed its investigation into a faculty member allegedly tied to the social media account that violently threatened Zionist journalists and their children earlier this month. A university spokesman said that on Monday that it would provide updates once there was news to announce. An account affiliated with the University of California Davis faculty member Gemma DeCristo posted on the 10th of October on X, one group of people we have easy access to in the U.S. is all these Zionist journalists who spread propaganda and misinformation. They have houses with addresses, kids in school. They can feel their bosses, but uh, they should fear uh, us more, it went on to say. Well, the post ended with emojis depicting a knife, an axe, and drops of blood. The account has since gone private, Apparently not closed, but gone private. And DeCristo's biography at the UC Davis page is inactive. DeCristo has been an assistant professor in American studies and African-American studies at the school, according to the foreword. The United Auto Workers have reportedly struck agreements with each of the big three auto manufacturers, hopefully bringing thousands back to work and restarting U.S. automobile production. While with details still being finalized, it remains to be seen how damaging these agreements will be to the U.S. auto industry. But if the UAW is happy with the terms, it's likely that it could have detrimental impacts on the U.S. economy and workforce for generations. It's easy to understand why the UAW has made demands that could damage the competitiveness of U.S. auto manufacturers. They've asked for significant wage increases and a shorter work week, making it tough for U.S. manufacturers to compete globally and potentially weakening a core and beloved American industry. However, it's the UAW's third demand that is most troubling. The elimination of the two-tiered wage system, which would result in everyone being given a uh, a role receiving the same compensation regardless of their experience or time in the position. This demand is fundamentally un-American and would have severe unintended consequences. Recently, UPS eliminated their two-tier wage system. If the UAW secures this concession, the auto industry would be the next domino to fall, putting American industry on the perilous path of self-imposed decline. Negotiators need look no further than communist Mao Zedong's China in the 1950s and 60s to see the disaster economic effects of that policy. Unsurprisingly, Marxists are advising the UAW leadership and pushing for a similar wage system. Mao's vision of socialist equality with uniform wages irrespective of occupation, education, or skill level led to disastrous economic effects and human suffering. But of course, that could never happen here, right? 
Well, American troops operating in the Middle East have been faced with an uptick in attacks in recent weeks, a trend that could continue as the U.S. supports Israel's war effort against Hamas. U.S. forces conducted airstrikes on facilities in eastern Syria last week in response to continued attacks on U.S. troops by Iranian proxies in recent weeks, striking a weapons depot and an ammo storage area believed to be used by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and affiliated groups. That's according to a senior U.S. defense official, the chief national security correspondent, Jennifer Griffin. While the strikes come as Pentagon officials have warned of the possible fallout of Israel's war with Hamas, leading to increased danger for U.S. forces, with one senior defense official telling reporters that they see prospect for much more significant escalation against U.S. forces and personnel in the near term. And let's be clear about it. The uh, road leads back to Iran, according to a report from Military.com. Now, the warning came as Israel began its second phase, which saw a number of troops enter Gaza in response to the Hamas terror group's attack on communities in the uh, country's south on October 7th that saw some 1,400 Israelis killed and hundreds taken hostage. And while U.S. troops are not directly involved in the conflict, forces carrying out counterterrorism operations in Iraq and Syria have been put at increased risk, particularly for the attacks by Iranian-backed proxies looking to influence U.S. support for Israel. A forthcoming report from the International Christian Concern, a nonprofit, highlights the 10 worst countries for Christian persecution, as well as specific entities and individuals that are driving this persecution. The report, titled Persecutors of the Year, will be released tomorrow, November the 1st. An advanced copy of the report was seen by some media outlets. The countries that are identified as the worst for Christian persecution are Nigeria, North Korea, India, Iran, China, Pakistan, Eritrea, Algeria, Indonesia, Azerbaijan, according to the ICC. New to the list this year are Eritrea, the Northeast African country, and Azerbaijan. Christian persecution is a hidden, mostly hidden subject. Jeff King, ICC's president, said in a phone interview. The U.N.'s General Assembly is demanding Israel work toward a truce and ceasefire, but refuses to condemn Hamas. Well, the U.N. General Assembly passed a resolution on Friday demanding that Israel submit to a sustained humanitarian truce, leading to a cessation of hostilities. That's a quote. Resolutions adopted by the body are non-binding, but cited as a reflection of global opinion. With a vote of 120 countries for it, 14 against and 44 abstaining, this one is already being cited as an authoritative decision that puts the U.S., Israel and other Um, No votes on the wrong side of history. The document actually reflects one of the most egregious forms of the U.N.'s enduring anti-Israel bias and provides cover for Hamas terrorism. These EU countries just joined Iran, Syria and Russia in voting for a resolution that fails to name Hamas or specifically call for release of hostages. Uh, That's uh, according to uh, U.N. Watch. And Guy Benson points out in a separate vote, the General Assembly failed to pass a resolution condemning Hamas, the evil perpetrators of the October 7th massacre of Jews who used the primary hospital in Gaza as their terrorist headquarters. When the threshold for passage wasn't met, the jackals who defeated it actually burst into applause, celebrating their degeneracy, end quote. 
Well, Cornell University in upstate New York has been the center of much of the wrong sort of attention recently, and that trend continued this weekend. The campus was temporarily placed on lockdown under a high alert status yesterday, centered around the school's Center for Jewish Living. The center was the target of multiple anti-Semitic comments and death threats that were described by the university president as horrendous. The information was provided to the FBI and an investigation into potential hate crimes has been requested. And while the full content of the messages was not released to the public, the intent was clear. The threats were not generalized, but targeted specifically at Jewish students and staff, directly referencing the Center for Jewish Living. A judge ordered the Biden administration to cease cutting the razor wire along the Texas southern border. A federal judge on Monday ordered the Biden administration to stop cutting that razor wire on fences along the border in Texas, meant to stop illegal migration crossings. Judge Aliyah Moses of the U.S. District Court of the Western District of Texas on Monday ordered the Department of Homeland Security to stop disassembling, degrading, tampering with miles of razor wire running along the Rio Grande near Eagle Pass. The temporary order is a result of a lawsuit brought by Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, arguing that federal officials said they had the authority to destroy state property to allow illegal aliens to enter and be processed. So to break the law, they are going to destroy state property. Benjamin Netanyahu told the press there will be no ceasefire with Hamas. The prime minister definitively stated on Monday in a speech that his nation will not stand down in its uh, assault against Hamas more than three weeks after the terrorist group invasion of Israel. Israel will not agree to a cessation of hostilities after the horrific attacks on October 7th, he told the foreign press. Calls for a ceasefire are a call for Israel to surrender to Hamas, to surrender to terror, to surrender to barbarism. That will not happen, end quote. In the speech, the prime minister justified Israel's right to defend itself by comparing its response to America's decision to enter World War II after the bombing of Pearl Harbor and to launch the war on terror after the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001. During Joe Biden's presidential campaign, Hunter Biden received a $250,000 loan from a Chinese businessman raising eyebrows. He received the loan from uh, the Chinese businessman just three months after his father launched his 2020 presidential campaign, and he later later transferred the debt to a Hollywood lawyer he befriended. The House Oversight Committee first disclosed a few weeks ago that Hunter Biden had gotten the $250,000 wire in July of 2019 and used his father's address in Delaware for that transfer. It was one of the le- the uh, later known foreign payments that Hunter Biden received before he fell on hard times. Documents gathered by federal law enforcement show that Hunter considered the wire to be a July 25, 2019 loan from Jin Chang Jonathan Lee, a Chinese businessman whom he had been doing business with for over a decade when they created an investment fund under the name of Bohai Harvest RST. After Joe Biden became president, the records show Hunter Biden transferred the debt to Kevin Morris, a Hollywood lawyer whom he befriended after they met in November of 2019, Joe Biden's campaign fundraiser in Los Angeles. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, on October 31st, much of the culture will be focused on candy and things that go bump in the night. Protestants, however, have something far more significant to celebrate on this date. It's Reformation Day, which commemorates what was perhaps the greatest move of God's Spirit since the days of the Apostles. But what is the significance of Reformation Day, and how should we consider the events it commemorates? 
Well, at the time, few would have suspected that the sound of a hammer striking the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany, would soon be heard around the world and lead ultimately to the greatest transformation of Western society since the apostles first preached the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Martin Luther's nailing of the 95 theses to the uh, church door on October 31st 1517 provoked a debate that culminated finally in what we now call the Protestant Reformation. An heir of Bishop Augustine of Hippo, Martin Luther is one of the most significant figures God has raised up since that time. Not imperfect, but certainly significant. This law student turned Augustinian monk became the center of a great controversy after his thesis were copied and distributed throughout Europe. Initially protesting the Pope's attempt to sell salvation, Luther's study of Scripture soon led him to oppose the Church of Rome on issues including the primacy of the Bible over the Church tradition and the means by which we are found righteous in the sight of God. Luther recaptured the biblical view of the priesthood of all believers, showing all people that their work had purpose and dignity because in it they can serve their Creator. Well, this last issue is probably Luther's most significant contribution to Christian theology. Though preached clearly in the New Testament and found in writings of many of the church fathers, the medieval bishops and priests had largely forgotten the truth that our own good works can by no means merit God's favor. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and good works result from our faith. They are not added to to it as the grounds for our right standing in the Lord's eyes. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 clarify that. Justification, God's declaration that we are not guilty, forgiven of sin, and righteous in His sight, comes because through our faith alone in the Father imputes or reckons to our account the perfect righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Well, Martin Luther's rediscovery of this truth led to a whole host of other church and societal reforms, and much of what we take for granted in the West would have likely been impossible had he never graced the scene. It cost him a great deal to have done so. Luther's translation of the Bible into German put the word of God at the hands of the people, and today scripture is available in the vernacular language of many countries, enabling lay people like you and me, like most of us, to study it with profit. He reformed the Latin mass by putting the liturgy in the common tongue so that non-scholars could hear and understand the preached word of God and worship the Lord with clarity. Luther lifted the unbiblical ban on marriage for the uh, clergy and by his own teaching and example radically transformed the institution itself. He recaptured the Bible, uh, the biblical view of the priesthood of all believers, showing all people that their work had purpose and dignity because in it they can serve their creator. Well, today, Luther's legacy lives on the uh, on in the creeds and confessions of Protestant bodies worldwide. As we consider its importance, his importance, this Reformation Day, let us equip ourselves to be knowledgeable proclaimers and defenders of biblical truth. May we be eager to to preach the gospel of God to the world and thereby spark a new reformation of church and culture on this Reformation Day. Well, returning to some of the headline news, an Iranian girl is dead. So where is the outrage? Where are the mobs? The 16-year-old Iranian girl died last week after an encounter with authorities in Tehran. Video footage shows that she was abducted on a subway platform while waiting for the train. It appears that she was targeted by authorities for violating Iran's Islamic dress code laws. Opposition leaders in Iran are claiming that she was effectively beaten to death by Iran's morality police because she was not wearing a headscarf. 
The beating left her in a coma. She was eventually declared brain dead. U.S. Special Envoy to Iran, Abram Paley, he stated that he was shocked and concerned about reports that Iran's so-called morality police have assaulted 16-year-old Armita Garawand. Meanwhile, where is the outrage on college campuses against Iran's violence and injustice against women? Oh, that's right. They're too busy protesting in support of Hamas. Israeli troops are fighting fierce battles against Hamas in urban areas deep inside Gaza. The House GOP proposed Israel aid offset by IRS budget cuts. The White House announced a plan to tackle anti-Semitism on campus after much public outrage. And over 100 Columbia professors signed a letter defending students who supported Hamas's military action. A University of Massachusetts lecturer who refused to condemn terrorism promised pro-Hamas protesters legal support. And a federal contractor urged Department of Homeland Security to ditch the term illegal immigrant, saying the word jihadist is racially charged, though accurate. The main mass shooters uh, uh, family, Massachusetts, um, let me get this right, the Maine, as in the state, mass shooters family reached out to the sheriff five months Before the rampage, of course, no one could have known what would happen, although the family was concerned. National Republican Congressional Committee has the best fundraising day in over 18 months after Mike Johnson won the speakership. Well, on this day in history, 926. And no, I was not there at the time. That's actually supposed to be 1926. Escape artist Harry Houdini dies in Detroit uh, of peritonitis resulting from a ruptured appendix. 1941, the Navy destroyer USS Reuben James is torpedoed by a German U-boat off Iceland with a loss of some 100 lives, even though the United States had not yet entered World War II. 1941, work is completed on Mount Rushmore, the National Memorial in South Dakota. 1961, the body rather of Joseph Stalin is removed from Lenin's tomb as part of the Soviet Union's de-Stalinization drive. 1968, President Lyndon Baines Johnson orders a halt to all U.S. bombing of North Vietnam, saying he hopes for fruitful peace negotiations. 1992, Pope John Paul II formally proclaims the Roman Catholic Church erred in condemning the astronomer Galileo for holding that the Earth was not the center of the universe. 1998, a genetic study is released suggesting President Thomas Jefferson did, in fact, father at least one child by his slave, Sally Hemings. 1999, Egypt Air Flight 990, bound for New York to Cairo, rather from New York to Cairo, crashes off the Massachusetts coast, killing all 217 people aboard. 2013, the Federal Aviation Administration issues new guidelines allowing airline passengers to keep their electronic devices turned on throughout the entire flight, but not to talk on their cell phones. And finally, on this day in history, 2017, at least eight people are killed and 11 injured after a motorist drives a rented pickup truck onto a busy bicycle path near the World Trade Center Memorial in Lower Manhattan. Well, I want to thank James Blend for producing, Dave King for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night, and I hope you'll join us here again tomorrow. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.